The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the Son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Today we are joined by Amber Smith. Many of you remember the Route 91 festival mass shooting. The gunman at Mandalay Bay unleashed bullets for 11 minutes into the festival. It became one of the deadliest mass shootings in the U.S. with 604 victims and 58 fatalities. Amber, of course, is so much more than a survivor. And we are here to talk to her about her experience surviving Route 91 as well as PTSD. Now let's get into the interview. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amber. Would you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, My name is Amber Smith, and I am a mom of two beautiful little girls and a wife to my amazing husband, Chris. We've been married almost 11 years. And I wouldn't say business owner, but I work in IVF and fertility. Um, I've been doing that for about 14 years. And I think that's that's it. That's me. (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you here today. And one part of your story, not the whole part, but one of them is the fact that you attended the Route 91 Harvest Festival, which was an open air country music festival that they have pretty frequently, but the year you attended happened to be 2017. Yes, that's correct. And just to give our listeners some sort of understanding of what the environment was like, it started Friday and the headliner was Jason Aldean. Do you mind just telling us a little bit about your mindset going in and what you were looking forward to? Yeah, definitely. So I actually originally bought tickets for me and my husband to go. And we had our daughter, Savannah, at home. She was turning one. And he's like, I think maybe you just you call a friend, phone a friend, and you go. <laughs> I'm going to stay home. You go have a girls weekend. You deserve it. So that's what it turned into. I called my best friend's husband and I'm like, I know this is kind of weird, but can I take your wife to Vegas? And he's like, of course. So I surprised her with tickets. We both love Jason Aldean, but it was kind of just, it was a first for us. We'd never been before. It was so close, easy to get to. My other best friend bought tickets with her partner and then my mom was actually there as well. So we were all together, but separate, like it wasn't planned. (laughs) So I think we just went in with a mindset of having fun and just enjoying a mom's weekend um, Chris set up a spa day for us. We kind of just hung out during the day. And then Friday night was the first night. It was amazing. We had a great time. I can't remember who performed Friday. Oh, Eric Church. He was great. Yeah, he was amazing. I've seen him perform. He puts on an amazing show. So good. And just like, it's just a different crowd. Country music, just a different crowd. It's very patriotic and there's not fights breaking out and just good vibes. Like everyone's just there to have a good time. We had a great time Friday, Saturday. We were a little exhausted Sunday. <laughs> um, I think we got to the festival a little bit later than expected, but I had a flight at 6 a.m. on Monday. So I'm like, let's just go. Let's do this and get to bed. <laughs> so we went. We all met up at the same spot on Sunday. We saw a few of the opening acts. And then there was some downtime between opening and then the final closing act of Jason Dean. I think we went maybe went to the restroom, walked around for a little bit. And then kind of just the anticipation of him coming on to close the show was, it was a lot. I don't know if it wasn't different energy. I'm not going to say that because obviously we had no idea what was coming, but 
he went on later than he was supposed to. So, so I think we were waiting for Jason Aldean to come on. We were all sitting in a circle. There were some like younger kids to the side of us. They were like putting people on their shoulders. I'm like, oh, let's try that. Being just silly. Um, and then all of a sudden Jason Aldean came on. We all got down and I want to say it was maybe his second or third song in. And it went from probably one of the best weekends of my life to the worst, like, 15 minutes I've ever experienced in my life. Um, Not to go detail to detail, but I was separated from everyone that I was with, um, not knowing that my best friend was shot first. Um, I think she was shot probably pretty early on, but it was just chaos. It was pure chaos everywhere. Um, I think from when it first started happening, getting to the hospital, I think it was only honestly maybe an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Um, But it felt like five days. I thought I was never going to get out of there. It was a war zone. There's things that I would never wish upon my worst enemy to experience, see, smell, hear. Um, And so I experienced a part of my life where I honestly didn't think I was coming home. Like I I called my husband to say bye. I I sat there and I called him and I said, I know Sabina's turning one tomorrow, but just if you could take care of them, just take care of them and just make sure that they feel safe and loved and I love you. And then I hung up and then I called back again. (laughs) I'm like, I'm still here. I'm still here. Um, But the the shooting, it, it, started it stopped it started it stopped so then I told my husband I said the next time it stops I'm gonna run I had no idea where it was coming from but I'm like I can't just sit here like I I don't I have to have give myself some hope to get out of here and so I'm told him I'm gonna count to three and run and I ran and I didn't make it far (laughs) um that's when I was shot and then um I want to say from there getting to the hospital was probably about 45 minutes where were you shot? I, well, I know, but do you mind telling our listeners? Yeah. Um. So when I was running, I was shot in my right femur. So my entire femur was shattered from pretty much, well, from, I don't have a femur in <laughs> my right side. So I have a titanium rod from my hip to my knee. Wow. I, I didn't realize I had seen a photo on social media, but I didn't realize they removed the entire femur. Yeah, I was shattered. So, yeah. That makes sense. Just to put this into perspective for our listeners. I mentioned that this was the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. Jason Aldean was performing on stage for 20,000 plus people. 58 people were killed. Hundreds, including Amber, were wounded and thousands more were traumatized. This is such an impactful, horrific event that you don't know how many people, like it's hard to quantify that many people experiencing something so horrific. Mm-hmm. As horrific as it was, the way that people helped people is absolutely incredible. Um, obviously, in the moment, I didn't know that. Um, I mean, I experienced it firsthand. I was, after I was shot, I crawled to the side. I somehow got hold of my phone and I called Chris again, but I don't know if I would have made it out without help. And there were brave people that just picked me up and carried me out. Like they put themselves, in a situation they didn't have to. And it was, even though it was horrific, it was looking back on it, you can say there's still really good people in this world. 
And these people you're talking about, they're complete strangers. They just happen to be near you. They're close in proximity and they chose to help you save your life. Yes. Something I thought was really interesting and I hadn't considered was you were saying not only the sights, like what was going on, but the smells you'll never forget. And that's something that people don't take into consideration when they're thinking of these traumatic events. Like, you know, they always say scent is like one of the easiest way to trigger a memory. And usually when people are saying that, they're thinking of like your grandma's perfume or like flowers in your mom's garden. They're not thinking what a mass shooting would smell like. I think I probably experienced less of it than a lot of people. Like my mom, she was not shot, but she experienced a lot more visual and smell and sight. I think, I mean, not luckily, I I experienced some of it, but just not as traumatic as her because um, I went into complete shock. But it's definitely something I don't think people think about at all. Like the smell of like a hospital or just, it's just a lot to handle, definitely. If we move on to talk about life after mass shooting, your experience as a survivor, healing is different for everyone. For you personally, you were faced with physically overcoming the challenges of your shattered femur that forced you into something like 18 months of physical therapy, right? Yes, it did. You also face this mental and emotional, these scars from the experience. Do you mind talking a little bit about that journey for you? Yeah, definitely. So in Vegas, I was in the hospital for six nights and I was scared to death to leave. I was in so much pain, but I also wanted to get home to my kids. And so being, I was very, very heavily medicated. There wasn't a whole lot of emotion being felt because I was so heavily medicated, but I knew I wanted to go home. Like the hospital was not where I wanted to be for a long time. And the nurse told me until you get out of bed and walk with a walker, you can't go home. I'm like, okay, well, let's do this then. (laughs) And I think it was the same day I got up and I, I didn't walk, but with the walker, I walked. And it's definitely an experience I think I'll never forget. It was just, it was very dramatic, but I have never experienced pain like that before, ever. And I just thought like, how the heck am I going to go home and like manage this pain and go back to normal life? Like that's all I could think of is how do I transition with not, I didn't have, I had help, but like everyone else's life has has moved on. It, it hit the headlines. People experienced it, but I was in the hospital for six days and I had to transition myself from hospital bed to bed with kids and a husband. Like I had a full-time job. I had two kids. So I went home, I think that night or the next night, I don't exactly remember, but then I found myself back in the hospital. <laughs> so I got back to California because the pain was just, it was too much. Um, and my poor husband was kind of just thrown into caregiver mode. Like he, it's not what he expected. And my daughter, Savannah, just turned one. Mackenzie was free at the time. So it took a village. It was, we had to hire two babysitters to help. Like I couldn't drive. I was taking Ubers to physical therapy because at some point Chris had to go back to work. I started therapy actually in the hospital. Um, I want to say it was like two or three days after Um, So that was an ongoing thing. And then once I got released from the hospital in California, I started physical therapy at home. I was not nice. (laughs) Like, don't touch me. This is too painful. I'm not doing this. I can't do this. But they showed up every day and they tried and we tried. 
And then there was a point where I was like, I have to do this. I can't just sit on this couch forever. Um, and I have a very dear friend that I went to high school with that was a physical therapist. And at the time, our insurance wanted to put me in like a group physical therapy. And I looked at my husband. And I'm like, I honestly don't care what it costs. I'm not, I don't want to be with people right now. I don't want to go into a group. I don't want to explain what happened. I need like one-on-one care. If that's like the one place our money goes, it has to be that. And by the grace of God, she reached out to me and she said, the owner of the physical therapy place wants to help you. And so that's where I went for 18 months. I don't know because I don't have anything to compare it to, but I feel like that was definitely one of the biggest saving graces because I got very, very, very good care. And they didn't treat me any different because it was a free service or a charity give, whatever you want to call it. They treated me normal and... It was, I was there three days a week. I want to say for about nine months and then two days a week and then one day a week. And I think all said and done, it was about 18 months. But while going through physical therapy, there was the emotional part as well. Just getting back to normal life. It wasn't normal for a very, very long time. Um, like hearing a fork drop on our hardwood floor. Like I would just break down to tears thinking like everything's happening again. Um, for a while, I would say it, it probably took, I don't know, six to nine months before I'd like really go anywhere. I was very obsessed with how everything played out that night. I, I couldn't let it go. I had to see where I was. I didn't know how I was going to do that. I, I looked up so many news articles and it, it was not good for my mental health, but it was, I felt like it was something I had to go through to get to the next step. And then one day I woke up and I told Chris, my husband, I'm like, I think I need to go back to Vegas. I need to go. I'm still in a wheelchair, but you can push me <laughs> and we need to go back. Like, I need to see what the grounds have become, what they've done with it. If maybe I can see through a fence of retracing my steps. Uh, I was wrong. You, you can't. <laughs> it didn't work for me, but I went and I got to see the grounds, but everything is such a blur and I kind of just, I think your body goes into complete shock that I couldn't tell you where I went in and came out and any of that. So I went back there thinking I could get some closure. And I guess I did a little bit because I was able to kind of close that chapter of that's not something that I'll probably be able to experience. And so I was able to move on from that chapter of recovering. I I did a lot of back and forth to be honest, like with recovery, I feel like I was five steps forward and then something would happen and I'd go 20 steps backwards. Um, it was definitely very wearing on my marriage. Um, not to the point where anything happened, but it's, it's exhausting. Like he had to not only take care of me mentally, but also physically, um, and having two small kids, but we, we had a lot of help, which I don't usually wouldn't have asked for, but I do highly recommend anyone that's in situations where it's kind of life or death. Cause I was at points of my recovery where I, I didn't want to live. I was done. I, I was felt like I was never going to be normal again. And I would say about, it was probably shortly after being done with physical therapy. I felt a big like setback because I had this routine of going to physical therapy a lot and I had therapy set up and then things just kind of started to not be silent, but you know, when there's not a lot going on, more comes to your mind. 
And so I, I definitely took a big step back after physical therapy. I'm like, well, what do I do now? Like that was my time. That's what I not like looked forward to, but I did because it was helping me. And so that was probably a big setback in therapy. And so I replaced physical therapy with mental therapy. <laughs> um, and I don't think there's any right or wrong answer of what you do to be able to survive and move forward. I don't think therapy is for everybody. Um, it's what worked for me. But I I just think of having some type of safe space. And for me, I couldn't call my best friend that also got shot because I didn't want to trigger her. I didn't want to bring something up for her. And then she spirals downhill. Um, I mean, we finally got to a point in our friendship and recovery that we're able to do that now. But, and then I didn't want to put it on my husband. My mom was going through her own thing. My sister was called by my mom on the phone. So she heard a lot. So she wasn't a turning point. And so for for me, therapy was the answer. Um, I needed to talk. I needed to like talk it out. But I think as far as like talking about mental health and PTSD, it's finding what works for you. And it, it might not be the first thing, the second thing, the third thing. But I feel like if you're in that state of mind, you need something. When you finished physical therapy and you entered into regular therapy, is that when you were officially diagnosed with PTSD or had you been previously, like as soon as you were released from the hospital? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't remember a point where I was ever diagnosed with it. I mean, my therapist clearly said I have many (laughs) things on the list, Um, but she never said to me like, you're suffering from PTSD. I don't think she wanted to put that in my head. So I can't really tell you a point where I was like diagnosed with it. I think it was probably just a, when you go through something that traumatic, it's kind of just maybe a given. Yeah. Well, I mean, it affects everything, your mental health, your physical health, your social interactions, your day-to-day life. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, if you heard something so much as a, a fork drop that would reignite these images, what are some coping skills that you've employed that have helped you? I've gone through a lot of them. Um, I went through, obviously, therapy was one of my biggest things. And she taught me a lot as far as we tried EMDR. It it did not work personally for me. I know it's worked for a lot of people. It was just way too triggering for me. It was, you're supposed to kind of relive things and then put them in a box and put them away. And I just wasn't there yet, I don't think. Um, It just didn't work well for me. But I think some of my coping skills... I gained a lot of weight after the surgery because I wasn't able to walk. I was on a lot of medication that was just probably not doing anything good for my body. So I think for me, getting back into shape was super important, taking walks, working out. And honestly, journaling helped a lot. Just sometimes you don't need to put all of your feelings out on social media. (laughs) You just need to write them down so you can... Just because when they're going through your head, you don't sleep and then it triggers things. So definitely journaling. And just, I think for me, having things to look forward to helped a lot. Like I, at first, when I was shot, I I had a horrible, horrible thought of like, if I'm not going to be able to walk, I don't know if I want to be here type of thing. And I went through a lot of very bad moments of like feeling that's very selfish to think like people lost their life and I didn't want to get out there because I couldn't walk. Obviously that wasn't the case, but I dealt with that. That was pretty hard to deal with. And then survivor's guilt was very, very, very hard for me. And 
there was a lot of therapy and I think just reading other people's journeys along the way. Um, I went back to Vegas a few times actually to go just to the healing garden and like walk around and read people's messages that they leave their wife that they were married to for 15 years. And there's people that lost kids and grandmas and grandpas and going back there, I think was very helpful for me. Um, completely opposite of my best friend. She wanted nothing to do with Vegas. Didn't want to see it, talk about it, hear it. And for me, it was like, I needed to go back and see, not necessarily how lucky I am, but like I was given a second chance and a purpose, do something with it. There really does seem to be this like unique community of the Route 91 survivors. I've seen a lot of interaction between different survivors of the event on social media even. I, I feel like a fly on the wall, but you know they have them in the comments and they'll be talking to each other. And you even see some of that camaraderie in documentaries and other media coverage. I know you said that like it was hard for you to talk to your best friend and your mom was going through her other thing, but was there anyone that experienced the event with you that you were able to lean on or have a little bit of discourse about what happened? Um, I mean, I would say my best friend that was also there. I mean, it took, it took time. It took a lot of time to know who I could turn to and not, it wasn't like necessarily a trust factor. It was more in the beginning of my recovery mentally. It was, I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to be labeled as a victim. I didn't want to be like a want, want, want story. Like I just, but truth be told, sometimes you just, you have to talk about things. And if you haven't experienced it, you have no idea. And even though my husband, he's very, very, very supportive, he'll never know what it's like to hear a champagne bottle go off and still like freak out. Or now we live in Texas, there's gun ranges everywhere and it's it's just adjusting. But I would say my best friend, and I had two best friends there. So they they were very supportive, but I also know they were going through their, their recovery themselves. So I would say my therapist, to be honest with you, um, until we got to a point where everyone was okay talking about it. But yeah, I mean, I would say my therapist and my husband. And now a word from today's sponsor. Honestly, I never spend enough time just on myself. As a counselor in my nine to five, I spend a lot of time on other people and helping to take care of them. Resources like therapy and BetterHelp have helped me learn how to balance taking care of myself and others. It's so easy to get caught up in everyone else's needs and forgetting to take a moment to think about what I need from myself. But when we spend all of our time giving, it can leave us feeling stretched thin and burned out. Therapy can give you the tools to find more balance in your life so you can keep supporting others without leaving yourself behind. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. You don't have to be at rock bottom to start today. Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. If that therapist isn't working out the best for you, you can switch therapists anytime, no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash murder diaries today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash murder diaries. 
sounds like there's just been so much of this self-work, even from the idea of not remembering a specific day where somebody sat you down and said, hey, you have PTSD. It was more of the self kind of discovery. You didn't self-diagnose yourself, but it's been the self-discovery through all of this self-work that these things have come out. And I think something that's really also standing out to me with what you're sharing is you had three people who you're extremely close with, two best friends and your mother that were there with you, but everyone's experience, not even just with recovery, but when they were there and what happened to them and what has happened since then is all so different, even though it was the same you know, this horrific event, you were all there and the experience has been different from the onset. And I think as somebody coming from a perspective of not having survived something like that, mm-hmm. it's not something that you think about. You would think like, oh yeah, they were all there. So you almost kind of like lump the experience together mm-hmm. and something I'm learning so much right now that makes so much sense when you break it down is that no, everybody's experience is so different. No, 100%. I, I agree because like I said earlier, like my other best friend that was not shot, my mom, they experienced completely different things. They went separate ways. They ended up at different places and their recoveries have been completely different as well. And it's, I don't, I think there's some people that think, I wouldn't even use the, the word special, but like, if you were shot, you're in, you're in one category. If you were there and you got hurt, you're in one category. If you're, but it, it's not because like I didn't have to experience certain things that my mom and my best friend did that probably they have nightmares about. They don't have to experience my physical and mental pain either. So I think it's once I got to that point in in my recovery of like being okay talking about it because my best friend that was shot was the only person literally that could relate to me it went a long way. And it just, it's having an honest conversation of like, if you're not okay with this, you need to tell me type of thing. And it's it's crazy to continue to hear different survivors stories. Um, I had a, a community event and I randomly reached out to someone that I think I met. I wasn't at a park in my neighborhood. I don't know how we got connected, but we did. And she was also a survivor of Route 91. And she was shot in her face. But she had also survived breast cancer 10 years prior to that. And she was there celebrating. And I'm like, I even get the chills thinking about it. Because she's honestly just one of the most like down to earth. Like this sucks has happened to me, but I'm dealing with it. And I'm just like, holy crap. Like you experience almost death with breast cancer. Then you're here to celebrate it. And then you get shot in your face. It's like how... And I don't think like, how can I still complain? But it's like you... There's always someone that can relate to you, share with you, or has it worse than you. And it's, you think sometimes when you're depressed and the PTSD and the anxiety, like, why did God do this to me? Why am I the only person dealing with this? But that's where I came as part of my recovery is I heard a quote someone said to me is like, make your mess a message. Like, share your story because you never know who can relate to you. Like, it's, you're not playing victim. You're not like, you don't need the attention of telling your story because I don't. And I tell my story to hopefully help somebody, to be honest. And I think that's a beautiful quote with such an impactful message. I shared with you before we even logged on to record 
that you had posted something because June is PTSD Awareness Month and you had posted something about it and that you know alerted us, hey, it's PTSD Awareness Month. Let's continue spreading the message. So even people you think who wouldn't have your message received, receive it. And that message keeps getting passed on from person to person. So every time you share your story to your comfort and you share what you've been doing, you know, throughout your journey to overcome this horrific thing, you're helping someone. Yes. I I hope. <laughs> that's what I mean, that's yeah, I mean there's no other reason for me really to share it to be honest. It's it's definitely not a chapter I've closed. I think it's going to be a lifetime of recovering. Um I mean in my biggest dreams I at some point hope to be a part of or be a starter of a nonprofit for PTSD, but I don't think it's talked about enough at all. I wanted to ask because I get really excited of hearing things about like nonprofits and things like that. What kind of work would be done through that nonprofit? And that's like, such a good question because I have now I would consider a really good friend. She lives like four houses down from me. I just met her in August, but she's, I swear, she's like an angel sent from God to me, but she started a nonprofit back in California. And I, I kind of started talking to her about it. I'm very intimidated by it. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's a big thing to take on. And we actually just went out for an appetizer the other night because my kids were driving me crazy. And I'm like, I need to get out of this house for like 12 seconds. Do you want to go somewhere and talk? And she actually asked me that exact question. She's like, what, what would be, what do you want to get out of it? And I told her, I said, I think that's the biggest thing that I'm intimidated by is because there's so many forms of PTSD for so many different people. I mean, child abuse, sexual abuse, IVF, infertility, there's, I mean, the shooting, there's so many different things. It's for me, it's very hard to narrow down what I would do. And when she asked me that question, I was like, that's a very good question because I want, I want to be able to provide services to people that can't afford it. Basically, I watched an Instagram video of a veteran and he was just sitting in his car, just crying basically for help. I don't know if you guys saw it. I think it went viral. I couldn't stop watching it. I'm like this poor man. Like he's at the mercy of a therapist, but then the second he opens up his story, tells everything about it, he gets cut off because of funds or the VA doesn't want to support him. And that literally just breaks my heart because if I couldn't stay with my same therapist, I don't know where I'd be today. And so I think for me, it's just being able to help people because therapy is expensive. It's not a free service (laughs) to anybody. And finding the right therapist is very important. And so I think for me, it's more about helping people to provide them services that maybe they don't know exist or can't afford. So I think that's the avenue I I would take. That's a beautiful dream. (laughs) Thank you. Access in the US to things like mental and other forms of healthcare, it can get so restrictive financially. So Mm -hmm. I could really see where a nonprofit could be something that could really make a difference in a lot of people's lives that otherwise couldn't afford it and or figure out access to it. No, I definitely agree. Yeah, it's definitely not something that's on the top of our list in the US. (laughs) There's this one person who also happens to be a pretty big name who was at the event, Jason Aldean, who was on stage when it happened. And you actually had the opportunity to meet and attend a concert by him within the last year. 
And you had a social media post about it and you wrote this beautiful line. I'm going to read it. You said, it was sure good for the soul. A piece of my heart was stitched back together. And I love that. And I feel like it kind of encompasses this idea of you wanting to go out and help other people who have experienced PTSD um, through connecting and building a community. So do you mind talking a little bit about that quote that you wrote? Yeah, definitely a full circle moment. It was, it wasn't planned. It wasn't, I think my husband and I went to a Jason Aldean concert and he came home one day after playing softball and he was like, let's go somewhere else. Like, let's go, like, we don't need to go to five points in Orange County for every single concert, Amber. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) He's like, let's just get on a plane and go somewhere. And he's like, the, I, don't, I think I say it wrong, Valero or Valero Open. It was like the 100th anniversary and Jason Aldean was playing there. I'm like, okay, well, let's go. <laughs> uh, my best friend that was with me at Route 91 lives in Texas. So I was like, well, that's an easy ask. Like her and her husband can meet us there. It's a 45 minute drive. So we went, we had a, a great time and we were sitting outside waiting to play top golf. And I went to the bathroom and this lady looked over at me and she was like, did you see Jason Aldean at the bar? And I'm like, you're joking, right? Like you're messing with me. You know who I am or something like you're, you're, you're messing with me. And she's like, no, he's at the bar. And I'm like, I got like this like hot flash. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> Don't let him go away. He has to stay there. <laughs> and I'm a very, very much introvert. I, I wasn't about to walk up to him for anything. And so I go outside and my best friend's the complete opposite. She'll She'll do whatever. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, there's a reason she's here with me. We were, we both were shot and we were both, it was just, and we went back inside and our husbands went and played top golf. And we literally sat at this high top and we just kept staring at him and staring at him and his wife and Michaela, my friend, she was my best friend. She's like, I'm going to go up to him. I'm just going to talk to him. I'm like, you can't. It's like, it's Jason Aldean and Brittany Aldean. You can't just walk up to him. Like, you're crazy. She's like, I'm going. You're coming with me. You're going. I'm like, I'm not going with you. So she walks over there. She just starts chit-chatting and they just start talking. I'm like, oh my gosh, is this real life? So I went over there and we just started talking. And as the night went on, they slowly opened up about their experience without sharing too much of their information. But it was, like you said, a full circle of just knowing that and it's not necessarily that they're famous, but it's they've they've kept their recovery a lot more private, um, probably for many reasons. But it was kind of just like a breath of fresh air to talk to someone else that's gone through it that you may not have ever talked to if we weren't in the right spot at the right time. And they were just, they were so nice and so sweet and listened. I'm like, I'm literally sitting here talking to Jason Aldean about my experience of being shot at Route 91. And he shared his and Brittany shared hers. And it was just, it's so crazy that how far a small conversation can go. And that's, again, why I say, like, if you have something to say, say it. Like, what's what's the worst thing that's going to come from it, you know? And so I think I was just in shock for days <laughs> after. But it definitely was was a really good experience. And I'm sure as much as it was a healing experience for you, it probably was for them too. Because, I mean, they don't always get to talk to someone else who had a similar experience with that event. So I'm sure it meant just as much to them. Yeah. And now that you say that, Brittany actually did say, she's like, you don't know how healing this is for us because we don't just like talk about it. You know, there's, we don't just talk to random people about it. And she did say that. She said it's very healing for them. You've mentioned a couple of times 
the Las Vegas Healing Garden. And for our listeners, I'm just going to explain what it is. It's a community space filled with greenery, a wall of remembrance in response to Route 91. And you've posted about these visits a couple of times on social media. But there's one especially poignant post with this beautiful caption where you told your daughters what happened that night in 2017 and how hard you fought to get to the place where you could be open with them about what happened. And that's another aspect of mass shooting survivor stories that we don't see often. You know, those who weren't there, but are still directly affected by the event. It's a ripple effect. You know, we can think of like at least five people in in your life that weren't there, but that were directly impacted by it. Do you mind talking a little bit about... I I don't want you to go into anyone else's experiences because those are theirs to share, but just what that was like to encounter those um, relationships changed by something that they didn't necessarily go through and experience, but experienced as a result of what happened to you. Yes. Um, And if I'm being completely honest, I I wasn't ready to tell my girls. Um, From day one, they thought that I tripped over a rock at a concert and got hurt. That was the story we went with for a long time. They were young, one and three. Like there was no need to get into anything Um, and I did a magazine article and one was mailed to her house and my daughter read it. So that's how she found out, unfortunately. And at the time, and you can say it was perfect timing for it to happen. My sister-in-law said, let's take the girls to Vegas to see Carrie Underwood. And I'm like, are you nuts? Like, you're going to ask me to go to, I mean, she, she didn't ask like that. She knew she, she treaded lightly. She said, if you're not comfortable, all the things. And I'm like, no, let's go. Like, and it's Carrie Underwood. Underwear, like my girls love her. And so we had the the trip planned at that time. Healing Garden wasn't in the plan because they had not known. And then this article was found and my daughter asked questions. And I mean, at that point, we we were honest, but we it was it was a sugar-coated <laughs> honest. But I feel like I had to take her to see what not what could have happened to me, but like to let her experience there's these mommies that didn't come home. There's this beautiful garden of people that are now in heaven. And I wanted to show her the good that came out of it. This healing garden is beautiful. And a lot of people visit it and there's amazing things in there. And I took her there just to see, I didn't want to show her the man. I didn't want to show her the hotel. I didn't want to show her anything else. I wanted to take her somewhere where it was reality the best way I could describe it to a seven-year-old. And we went and she talks about it a little bit and it kind of, it left and, but then it comes back. So it's been, it's been very hard, not for them, for me to experience them asking questions, but it was definitely another chapter to be closed. Did I want her to find out by reading, reading an article? No, but maybe that was how she was supposed to find out so that we could move on type of thing is from a certain point. She doesn't ask questions. She she took it pretty well, I think. I think maybe it'll come up later, maybe as things are released or she gets older and can understand it more. Uh, my youngest daughter <laughs> doesn't have a clue. Like she, the other day, she's like, mommy, do you remember when you were pregnant with me and you tripped over a rock? I'm like, baby, you were one. <laughs> I wasn't pregnant with you. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm fine with you just staying innocent, not knowing, but it was definitely a turning point. And I, like I said, I had to make it something 
positive. I had to take them somewhere where it was going to impact them in a way where it wasn't, wasn't going to be traumatizing. Um, I went and picked up these gold butterflies and I kind of just explained them like this can be a symbol of every time you see a butterfly, it can remind you of the people that lost their lives that day of something a very bad man did. And just think about how thankful you can be that I'm here. And it hasn't been easy for mommy to, to be here. Um, and physically at the beginning was, I mean, I didn't tell him I didn't want to be here, but I use it here and there as like, not life lesson, but my daughter plays softball and sometimes she doesn't want to go practice or she doesn't want to work out with my husband and he makes her. And <laughs> I'm like, well, what if mommy didn't wake up and go to physical therapy every day? Like where, where would I be in my recovery? I'm like, I wouldn't be able to go up the stairs and tuck you into bed. I wouldn't be stronger. I wouldn't be confident. I wouldn't. And I think it, as age goes on, I feel like it'll impact her a lot. And so I kind of just try to plant the seed little by little of telling her positive things that came out of it and leaving the negative out of it. One of the positive things you've done is you actually went back to the children's hospitals. I think it was Sunrise Hospital where they treated you. And you went back on your birthday, a day that should be about yourself. And you made it about all the kids there. You bought tons, like bags and bags of gifts. And you handed them out on your birthday to say thank you to the community that saved your life. And so you're doing so many positive, great things from such a tragedy. Yeah, it was a, it was a good day in that aspect. Um, I didn't know really what I wanted to get out of it at the time. Being a part of Facebook groups of trying to find the men that helped me out was a, a big struggle in the beginning. Um, putting the pieces together, just talking to anyone that maybe experienced anything that I did. And then once I got to a point of those questions may never be answered, what else can I do? Like, I know those children aren't the ones that were treating me that day, but we were brought into their hospital. Like they're dying kids. And we basically took over their hospital. And it was the only way I could think of to like go back and give back. And so we did it. And it was a great experience. We painted ornaments with them. We sat with them. They had no idea what I was there for. <laughs> um, I didn't I didn't get to pass out the gifts, unfortunately, but it was more of like we got wish lists from the hospital of what these kids wanted for Christmas. And so we were able to deliver a lot of their wish list. Literally, you delivered Christmas miracles to some of these kids who would never get some of their wish list items. Yeah, it was it was a good day. <laughs> and then we saw Jason Aldean that night. Okay, yeah. So a doubly great day. Yeah. You mentioned, this wasn't on our list of questions, but if you don't mind, you mentioned the guys who helped you. It sounded like you were never able to reconnect with them? No, I wasn't. I'm a part of a few Facebook groups. Um, I put a post out a few times, but I couldn't tell you what they look like. I don't know anything about them. I was in such shock. Um, I just remember them this husband and wife sitting next to me saying, looking at them, I think they were kind of doing rounds. Like they were coming back in, taking people in and out or not in, but taking them from the the grounds and helping them. And I remember this husband and wife sitting next to me and they said like, she needs to go. Like she needs to be the next to go. And I remember one guy picking me up from my feet and the other one from like my shoulders. And I just lost it. I think that's like at the point where the, the pain kicked in. <laughs> And so I think, and this could be me making up a story in my head, or this is what I do remember, like the taller of the two guys just put me over his shoulder and ran, but I couldn't tell you anything about them. But yeah, I never got to meet them. Um, through 
my therapy, it was something again, I obsessed over like, why doesn't this person want to like meet me? He saved my life. And everyone again, deals with their recovery the same way. Um, Maybe they have survivor's guilt. Maybe they are dealing with, they don't want to be recognized. Maybe they don't want to be considered a hero. So I kind of, it's always in the, it's always in the back of the book, but it's not something that I go after anymore. Cause if it's meant to be, I feel like it'll, it'll happen. Either way it works out, you have two guardian or two or four guardian angels, however many you want to count of them that help save your life. So I, I think that's really special that even if you were, you're not able to meet them to know that they were there and they made a difference. Mm-hmm. I agree. So just, I'm going to close out with a couple of questions about your work raising awareness for PTSD. You're very open with your followers on social media, like we've talked about, about the effects of PTSD. You've talked about how lonely and isolating it can be. What's something you want others struggling with it to know? It's mm, a loaded question. <laughs> no pressure. No, 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 no. I think it's, there's no right answer. I think that's why I struggle with it. I think it's finding what not brings you happiness, but what's going to help you move forward? Like, what is it? Is it finding someone to go running with? Is it finding someone you can talk to? Is it finding someone you can volunteer with? Is it finding someone that has the same age kids with you that when they're driving you nuts, you can relate to it and you don't go down the dark path? You Is it someone that maybe has been through what you've been through, but maybe in a different experience that you can feed off of each other and know at the end of the day, like, it's okay to be okay type of thing. And that's, I think when I overcame survivor's guilt, that's what I keep playing in my head. Like, it's okay that I'm still here type of situation. It's it's not my fault that I'm still here and others are not. So I think it's just finding what works for you, to be honest. it's There's no, unfortunately, there's no clear answer to what works for everyone. I think it's just, it's not giving up. And it's those moments that you feel like you're going to give up of having that outlet, whatever it is. If it's getting outside, staying inside with a friend, if it's going to see a movie, it's to be able to like get yourself out of it. Because I feel like when you get too far deep, it's that's when the mental health, it's when suicide happens. And it's, it's a very, very dark, dark place. And that's the thing with helping raise awareness. It's for other people to recognize maybe signs of it. Like I come across as a pretty happy, normal person, but sometimes deep down inside when there's thousands of people around me or there's fireworks going off, I'm dying inside. And I think for people to know certain triggers for people that they surround themselves with is important because if you don't know, you can make comments that can can hurt. And it's just like, people will say like, oh, you're still affected by a champagne bottle going off Amber. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And it's, for me, I've learned with the confidence to say yes. Like I used to be like, well, no, like I didn't mean to jump. Like I would, but I think it's just building the confidence to to tell people around you that you're not okay or having the strength to remove yourself from the situation that you're in. Something else I'm also hearing is it's not necessarily something that's going to go away. It's managing it and learning how to do that. These are the cards. I have been dealt. How am I going to play them? Does that sound right? A hundred percent. You said it very well. Yeah, because there's definitely two two avenues I could have taken that night, and I, I chose not to. And I remind myself every day, like you had two ways to go, left or right, and you went 
whatever way you want to say it, right? But you have to pick and choose your battles, honestly, because you could fight with yourself in your head all day long. <laughs> that was perfectly put. As we close out today, do you want to share where our listeners can find you to find more of your PTSD awareness topics that you're raising? I mean, I wish I had <laughs> I wish I had more avenues to share with people, but I mean, I think the more I do things like this or share it, I mean, hopefully at one point there will be a nonprofit so that I can share more. But as for now, I have um I wouldn't even consider it a blog, but where I kind of in the beginning of my journey had to write things out and I just shared. I don't know why I felt the need that I had to share right then and there, but it helped me a lot. And I get a lot of feedback from it, to be honest. And people read it and they're just like, oh, wow, like I'm not the only one struggling type of thing. Um, So that or Instagram is where I post most of everything. Instagram is mrs.smith.0921. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amber. Thanks for taking your time to to do this. And I hope if anything, it, it can help. If one person, that would make me very happy. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.